While his three companions were busily engaged in proffering their thanks to their new acquaintance, Mr. Pickwick had leisure to examine his costume and appearance. He was about the middle height, but the thinness of his body and the length of his legs gave him the appearance of being much taller. The green coat had been a smart dress garment in the days of swallowtails, but had evidently in those times adorned a much shorter man than the stranger, for the soiled and faded sleeves reached scarcely to his wrists. His face was thin and haggard, but an indescribable air of jaunty impudence and perfect self-possession pervaded the whole man. Mr. Pickwick's observations were interrupted by the entrance of the Rochester coachman to announce that the Commodore was on the point of starting. Commodore, said the stranger, starting up, my coach. Now it so happened that Mr. Pickwick and his three companions had resolved to make Rochester their first halting place too, and having intimated to their new-found acquaintance that they were journeying to the same city, they agreed to occupy the seat at the back of the coach where they could all sit together. I was ruminating, said Mr. Pickwick as the coach got under way, on the strange mutability of human affairs. Ah, I see. In at the palace door one day, out the window the next. Mm, philosopher, sir? An observer of human nature, sir, said Mr. Pickwick. Ah, so am I. Most people are when they've little to do and less to get. Poet, sir? "'My friend, Mr. Snodgrass, has a poetic turn,' said Mr. Pickwick. "'So have I,' said the stranger. "'Epic poem, ten thousand lines, revolution of July, composed on the spot. "'Mars by day, Apollo by night. "'Bang the field pence, twang the lyre.' "'You were present at that glorious scene, sir,' said Mr. Snodgrass. "'Present? I think I was. "'Fired a musket, fired with an idea, rushed into wine shop, rode it down, back again, whiz-bang another idea, wine shop again, pen and ink, back again, cut and slash, noble time, sir.' And the stranger continued to soliloquize until they reached the Bull Inn in the High Street, where the coach stopped, and after bidding each other good night, they parted ways. Mr. Pickwick, his disciples, and the whole population of Rochester and the adjoining towns rose from their beds at an early hour of the following morning in a state of the utmost bustle and excitement. A grand review was to take place upon the lines. The manoeuvres of half a dozen regiments were to be inspected by the eagle eye of the commander-in-chief. Temporary fortifications had been erected, the citadel was to be attacked and taken, and a mine was to be sprung. At length that low roar of many voices ran through the crowd, which usually announces the arrival of whatever they had been waiting for. All eyes were turned in the direction of the sally-port. A few moments of eager expectation, and the colours were seen fluttering gaily in the air, arms glistened brightly in the sun, column after column poured onto the plain. The troops halted and formed, the word of command rang through the line, there was a general clash of muskets as arms were presented, and the commander-in-chief, Colonel Bulder, cantered to the front. The command, eyes front, had been given, and all the spectator saw before him were several thousand pairs of optics staring straight forward, wholly divested of any expression whatever. 
"'What are they doing now?' inquired Mr. Pickwick, adjusting his spectacles. "'I, I rather think,' said Mr. Winkle, changing colour, "'I rather think they're going to fire.' "'Nonsense,' said Mr. Pickwick hastily. "'I, I rather, really rather think they are,' urged Mr. Snodgrass, somewhat alarmed. "'Man is but mortal, and there is a point beyond which human courage cannot extend.' Mr. Pickwick gazed through his spectacles for an instant on the advancing mass, and then fairly turned his back and trotted away at as quick a rate as his legs would convey him. There was a fine, gentle wind, and Mr. Pickwick's hat rolled sportively before it. The wind puffed, and Mr. Pickwick puffed, and the hat rolled over and over as merrily as a lively porpoise in a strong tide, and on it might have rolled far beyond Mr. Pickwick's reach, had not its course been providentially stopped, just as that gentleman was on the point of resigning it to its fate. Mr. Pickwick was completely...